That America will never be a socialist country. country. Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of our weekly broadcast. This week's topic, what is the state of the socialist movement? And to dive into this question, we're going to go back a couple years to an exchange we had with Jacobin Magazine in 2018. In many ways, we're living in a world that's very different from even just 2018. I mean, the political landscape is rapidly evolving in the U.S. And even since the beginning of the year, you know, we, we see changes taking place. If you consider just the events of the last couple of months under the impact of this pandemic, we're now facing another Great Depression-like scenario in many parts of the country. 36 million people have already lost their jobs in the last couple of months. People are going hungry. 35% of households are now experiencing uh, food insecurity, households with children. So you have all this accumulated discontent. You have unprecedented anger at the status quo, at the inequality that, uh, of this class society that is now more evident than ever. And you have a desire to fight against it, to fight against the billionaire class, to fight against capitalism. And yet the focal point of that mood up until now, the Bernie Sanders campaign, is once again closed up. And so as a result, you have a political crisis, a two-party system that has been undermined, that is now being questioned and rejected more than ever before. Among millennials, over 70% reject both major parties. And so it's no surprise that the largest voter block is non-voters. People were fed up with the Democratic Party after 2016. And now, given the way that the 2020 uh, primaries have played out, in many ways, it's, it's been a repeat of the 2016 uh, episode, but this time people are fed up with the, with the lesser evil argument. They've had enough. And you can really feel that we're approaching a boiling point with this, uh, with this process. You know, it's, it's going to erupt sooner or later. This pressure will find an outlet. And aside from the political crisis, we also see what direction the class struggle is going. Back in 2018, when this debate was held, we were starting to see some labor ferment. We saw the beginning of some strike action um, a, a couple of years ago that was signaling that something was starting to change in the labor movement. But since then, you know, we're, we're now watching the beginning of a strike wave unfolding across the country in every corner uh, of, the, of the U.S. We've seen over 200 wildcat strikes since March. All of these events are having a clarifying effect for a lot of people who are moving in the direction of socialism, who are open to revolutionary ideas. And so it's actually in this context that we wanted to return to the debate with Jacobin Magazine, this exchange between Bhaskar Sankara and John Peterson, because some of the topics they discussed ended up anticipating the certain aspects of, of the world we now live in. And of course, the most important part of this exchange of views of different programs is to establish clarity political clarity about where the socialist movement is today and where it's headed. As earth-shattering as, and as historic as these events have been that we've lived through in the last couple months, 
we are barely at the beginning of this process. The major events are yet to come, and we're confident that this is a revolutionary period of world history. These events are shaping the outlook of a, a living generation that will be faced with the task of transforming society. So we need clear ideas. And without further ado, we hope you enjoy the second installment of this debate. What is the state of the socialist movement? on to the next question on we're gonna after we've talked a bit about what socialism is and take a step towards uh where we are right now and uh the question i'm gonna pose and we'll start with you john on this one is um what what is the state of the american socialist movement right now uh the state of the socialist movement now uh i i mean i'm more excited than i've ever been in my whole life i'm i'm, I mean, I'm sure you agree with where things are now i mean the the enormous potential that there is for people to, to really come to grips with what socialism is and what it isn't. There's more self-identified socialists than ever. Poll after poll show that millions of people, uh, I mean, by some estimates, you know, a third uh, roughly of the whole population uh, is in favor of this, especially people that are, uh, you know, 18 or older, uh, who are the ones that they're polling. They show that, you know, I don't know, tens of millions of people are in favor of this. And if you look at the younger people, so-called Generation Z, uh, they're even more to the left. But I think what's really interesting is you actually see a lot of uh, elderly folks, retirees, who lived through the Cold War, and even they are open to socialism uh, as, as an option uh, on this planet, which I think says a lot. But at the same time, I think there's an enormous atomization uh, on the left, enormous uh, uh, lack of clarity above all politically. I mean, I think that the left sometimes gets a bad rap, and justifiably so, for, for you know, what appear to be from the outside little turf wars, uh, you know, different sectarian little grouplets all fighting against each other, yelling against each other. But when I talk about, uh, you know, what I think is important is political clarity around what we're fighting for. It's not, you know, what particular organizational form uh, or anything like that, but what, it's what ideas, what program, what perspective for the socialist transformation of society in our lifetimes are we talking about? Um, so I think that lack of political clarity is one of the key things that we've got to deal with. Uh, I would also add that it's not only the state of the socialist movement, but the state of the labor movement today. The labor movement, uh, obviously the working class is the class that has a revolutionary potential to transform society and bring about socialism. And the labor leaders um, are playing a lamentable role these days. The labor leadership of, uh, of the, the main trade unions, the AFL-CIO and all the big unions, they basically accept capitalism. They accept the bounds of capitalism. And they, uh, you know, they, they do everything in their power, frankly, to stop the working class from actually moving in the struggle. Uh, you know, the, the strikes of all the teachers this, uh, you know, earlier this year that were so inspiring uh, had to take the form uh, more often than not of wildcat strikes because the labor leadership wouldn't, wouldn't you know, give them the go ahead. Uh, when you had re just recently the possibility for a strike at uh, UPS among the Teamsters workers, uh, you know, through outright fraud, the, the Hoffa junior leadership basically uh, cut across this unleashing of, of the working class's ability to just shut down production. And that's where the power of the working class lies, its ability to shut down production and to, to, to freeze production in its tracks, to stop the profits from flowing, stop goods and services from moving around uh, and show, you know, who really actually has their hands on the running of society, which is a very dangerous question if you start realizing uh, as I'm sure you'd agree, that you don't need capitalists in order to mm. run society. 
Um, I think, though, that the key problem with the left today, the key problem that the socialist movement uh, is facing is the question of political independence. And the fact that that most socialists, uh, at least, the, the, the you know, I, I could say the, the, you know, at least a lot of the newer socialists these days, they, there's a lot of uh, people that think that we should go through the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, as I'm sure everybody knows, is a party of slaveholders originally. It's the party of the northern capitalist class. It's not a working class party. It's never been worker friendly. You see over time that the Republicans and the Democrats have sort of switched good cop, bad cop roles and appealed to different uh, layers of the population in order to maintain and, and bounce off each other, uh, ultimately to uh, continue the domination of the capitalists in this country. But uh, subordinating the interests of the working class, subordinating the interests of socialists to a capitalist party. Uh, and, you know, it's not just me saying they're a capitalist party. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked a few months ago, you know, uh, what do you think about moving the, the Democrats in the socialist direction? She says, uh, you know, we're capitalists. That's that's just how it is. I mean, uh, if you look at what happened in the recent elections, a number of candidates who uh, identified as socialists have been elected, and yet they've already uh, backtrack on, on a whole number of, of progressive things that they said they might be interested in fighting for if they're elect, uh, elected. So I think the question of, of breaking with the Democrats is, is really key and it's a dividing line. The question of class independence. The working class is the majority, so why shouldn't we have a party of our own? Uh, I would say that the working class needs not a third party, but a first party. We're the majority. If this is going to be a democracy, then the working class should have its own party. And that party, I think, with a program that would address the needs of working people, of housing, of jobs, of education, of unemployment, et cetera, would, would very quickly be able to, to come to power even, just like the last time we had the rise of a revolutionary party in this country, believe it or not, it was the Republicans. Uh, and, and they were able to go from formation to sitting in the White House within about six years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say that that my faith in the the state of the movement is partially my my faith in uh well what ordinary working class Americans are are thinking and doing, and it's actually been steps in the right direction in recent recent years. Um, you're seeing more people than ever supporting Medicare for all. You're seeing um uh, progressive moves in the direction of opposition to mass incarceration you're seeing support for things like jobs guarantees and no surprise this support is is correlated with unemployment in the places that actually need these things the most so a majority of people in mississippi for example support a jobs uh guarantee um then of course there's cause for optimism among um our segments of the left and i mean that broadly because we're we were a left of uh few thousand people and now we're left around 60 70 thousand people um yeah socialist left and that's obviously progress and i don't mean that i mean we have a larger um uh self-described you know socialist left that we have um had in many decades uh, dsa has fifty thousand members i mean these these are things that we shouldn't take for granted because those of us who remember i joined dsa around 11 years ago and my first meeting in New York City, there was five people there, uh, like five people, and it was like a good turnout. Uh, and people were very excited that someone under uh, the age of 40 um, uh, showed up to, to, to the meeting. Uh, I, I would keep coming to those meetings, mostly because I would get free food afterwards. Um, but, you know, I would say that the real tension we have is we have these big... Uh, kind of complex, not fully formed tendencies of people, and we have the Sanders um, push and whatever you think of Bernie Sanders, I'm, I'm a supporter of, of, of Bernie Sanders, but 
we have 13 million Americans voting for a self-described, you know, democratic socialist. You know, that's that means something. It means something that uh, Bernie Sanders can go into even counties that voted for for Trump and have people that will go to his town calls and, and listen to him. And a lot of these counties, as they're getting fed up, they're rejecting Trump. So we could say that we don't like a lot of the Democrats that are voting for, but we should also think that they were given really two options on the ballot and they resoundingly, uh, you know, the Democrats won the, the popular vote and, and, and swung a lot of these districts more in the direction because people are resoundingly rejecting what Trump's offering and they're seeing through his deceptions. The things he was promising is not the things he was he's he's been delivering. But then I, I think that we should separate these two things out. We could say that there's a small ideological socialist movement. Uh, then there's this broader movement, this broader current, and they both have issues. But what we want to see is we want to see a merging of the two together. We want to uh, imagine a time when we can think of a workers movement. We can think of a socialist movement. We're not thinking about two separate things. We're thinking about social movements. Or we're, we're just imagining one coherent mass in which there are certain divisions of labor. There are certain things going on. But but right now, it's it's uh, the lack of embeddedness in the American movement is really striking, even compared to Europe and other other advanced capitalist countries where the momentum seems to be not in their favor, where they're back backtracking. You know, you'll still do a talk and there'll be people who are just workers there. And it's not, oh, there's these five people here and there are workers or the people that we managed to through industrialization or through something else recruit. No, these are just the people who tend to support socialist politics, who happen to be at socialist socialist um, you know, meetings. And I think we have a long way to go uh, for, uh, before we get to that. Um, and I think that that should be the real question of betterness. And the final thing I'll say on this is just the question of political independence. There used to be a slogan that was said a lot in the uh, Trotskyist movement in particular, but but throughout the, the far left in the you know 50s and 60s. And it went something like, you know, down with the elephant, down with the ass. Let's build a party of the working class, you know, which is nice because it rhymed. And, you know, things that rhymed are... are, are, are better you know we, i think we lost that rhetorical flair at some point um but um i, I and I, I so first of all i agree with the vision of political class independence um and this is something that the left has always strived for uh, all portions of the left the great struggles of the 19th century the struggles of even the construction of the second international whatnot were about creating political independence and creating political dependence from liberalism uh, in, in particular, both the Lasallians and, and the Marxists uh, were, were fighting for this. The question is, just having a slogan, just having the rhetoric isn't enough. We have to have a much more difficult question of why hasn't this worked? This has been our rhyme for literally 100 years. Uh, like, and it's not because we haven't said it enough. Saying something over and over again doesn't actually do anything. It hasn't worked because of a variety of factors. One was the extreme violence of the U.S. state suppressing the workers' movement in the 1890s, using the force of the U.S. Um, state to scatter the Socialist Party in the 1910s, scatter the IWW, scatter all these 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 movements. There's a variety of other more boring political science, you know, answers. One is that 
you know, U.S. workers who had a, uh, many of them had already had suffrage and already were voting for two major parties and the ballot system was designed to prevent the emergence of third parties. Um, and some of them were just contingent. There were certain moments we had the opportunity to build an independent party in the 1890s, the 1920s, some degree in the 1930s and 40s, but those avenues weren't pursued partially as a result of the trade union bureaucracy, partially as a result of mistakes by leaders, partially as a result of just trying those, those things, but, but failing. But the failures weren't just a string of failures. They were cumulative. You know, one failure made it harder to do it the next time, the next time, and the next time until we end up in our fairly miserable uh, present where the majority of Americans don't have a party that, that represents their majority interests. But I think there's a difference between the response to that among some members of the socialist um, left, the majority response in the American movement has historically been, therefore, we have to deal with what we have. We have to go into the Democratic Party and we have to realign the Democratic Party and make it function something like these European labor and social democratic parties have. That was the old strategy. I think there's a there's still portions of DSA and portions of the left that is pursuing that party in certain in certain ways. Um, this is the uh, kind of strategy of the Justice Democrats with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others are are uh, associated with. What we're proposing, people around Jack and others, is something different, which is just simply we are using the Democratic ballot line and we are running as open socialists with our own programs, our own basis of funding. And we're using that bully pulpit to run competitive races that sometimes win and sometimes don't. And we're making socialism relevant to millions of people who never heard of socialism before as a result. Now, is that political class independence or is it not? If I run tomorrow on a Republican ballot line in, in a city, in a partisan race, and I run as an open socialist, I run with my own source of funding, with my own 10-point program, am I now a tool of the Republican Party? It just, we, uh, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem logical to me. I'm not saying these parties are empty vessels to be transformed. I'm saying that we could use propagandistically the ballot lines. And it's actually been working. So th this was a theoretical discussion. I used to have this debate with ISOers uh, three, four years ago. And I thought both positions were reasonable. And it was a reasonable debate then. I believe this debate has been resolved. And that tactically, it's been useful. And tactically, it's still been an independent left uh, strategy to connect our disparate, really small working socialist movement with a wider workers' movement. John, do you think that it's been resolved? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I think that's still the key question that needs to be uh, sorted out. I mean, it is true that that you know DSA growing to fifty thousand members. I think that's fantastic uh, development. It shows uh, not only are people calling themselves socialists, but they actually actively want to get involved in something. Um, but, but it is true that it is a very broad, amorphous, uh, when you talk about 95 million people in a poll that sort of say, yeah, I'd be open to socialism, that doesn't mean they've read, you know, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Trotsky, whatever. doesn't mean they necessarily have to, uh, as long as they're fighting around a, a clear program that I would argue has to transcend the bounds of capitalism. But it is a huge step forward. Um, but, I was, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, there's no question about it. He blew things wide open and put socialism on the map in a way that I would argue had never happened in this country before. Uh, I mean, the last time socialism was that popular was back when Eugene Debs was thrown in jail. I mean, you know, literally 100 plus years ago. But I, 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 I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I'm surprised that people that consider themselves socialists still say they support Bernie Sanders. 
after you know what ended up happening at the DNC in the city, uh, a lot of people that were here in Philly at that time must have felt what what that was like. Uh, and this capitulation to, to Clinton to say, well, this is just the world we live in. Uh, what are you going to do? Vote vote for Hillary, uh, even if you looked a little bit disgusted uh, as he said it. Um, a, a lot of people, I think, realized that uh, that that was uh, a dead end. And a lot of people, I think, will never be going back to the Democratic Party after that. So um, I think that it's absolutely true. A lot of people, a lot of Republicans can be one to socialist ideas on a class basis. During the 2016 elections, San, uh, Trump, when he would talk about Hillary, you, you know, you know what kind of crowds, what kind of comments people would say. But whenever he talked about Sanders, he was very careful not to go after him because there was kind of a, a reverent silence around Sanders because he was talking about things that they need in the Rust Belt, jobs, healthcare, education. Um, so I think that that's uh, uh, interesting that on a class basis, both of those parties can be blown apart. It's not going to be just the, the Democrats, but the Republicans. Um, I, I like this this imagery of uh, W.B. Uh, w. Uh, du Bois who, who in talking about uh, in a book about John Brown, he talked about how all the different streams of, of, uh, of dissatisfaction were streaming inextricably towards what ended up be becoming the conflagration of the Civil War. And I think what we're seeing now with this thaw of, uh, of, of decades of sort of anti-socialist ideas is the beginnings of those streams, uh, different currents of struggle starting to come together towards what will eventually uh, be a raging river that I think will have the power to smash right through all the dams that capitalism puts up to try to, uh, to keep it back. And I think that we have to, if we look at history, the consciousness of the working class uh, leaps ahead, uh, you know, very dramatically at certain stages. We can't judge the future by the past, and we can't judge uh, the, the way people think, uh, you know, five years from now from, from the way people think today. Um, and, and I think that, that that's that's important. And so the question of political class political independence, um, I don't see how you can be one can be in favor of it while at the same time saying that we could, you know, run as a Democrat or a Republican, and it doesn't matter in a country where American, in a country like the United States, where people look at things in a pretty black and white way, I think that if you say, vote Democrat, because I'm running as a Democrat, and I would never run as a Democrat, but if you, know, if you say that, you're then responsible for whatever the Democrats uh, do. I mean, maybe not, you know, you, I, mean, I mean, look, you mentioned uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, look, look what's happened already since the nomination or you know, winning the, the primary to, to where we are today. Um, and, and I think a lot of people didn't want to hear it when it was said that, look, I mean, if you if you, you know, you, you work in that party, you're going to be bound by by its rules. And that's that's basically what's happening. Uh, so I, I think that that that's important as far as the violence of the capitalist state stopping the working class from forming its own political party. I mean, all all capitalist states, all states are violent. I mean, if you look at Tsarist Russia. They weren't able to stop uh, the Russian Revolution from happening. Even in countries like Iran, for example, the, the Shah's state apparatus wasn't able to stop itself from being overturned at a certain point. And pretty much every country uh, in, in, the, in the so-called advanced uh, you know, capitalist world has a workers' party, you know, or at least one, at one point did, a mass socialist party, communist party, labor party, etc. Some political vehicle for expressing themselves, they weren't stopped. So I don't think it'd be fair to say that there's a there's a unique American exceptionalism that has prevented that. I would argue, uh, and you kind of alluded to this, that it's by mistakes of the leadership, the mistake of, of the leadership or the lack of a leadership that understands the need to do that. The fact that uh, several times when there were opportunities to move in that direction, for example, in the 1930s with the rise of the CIO, which was an elemental class struggle uh, taking place in the big new industries that were you know erupting 
in, uh, in all parts of the country, really, uh, you had a new kind of trade unionism, a new workers' movement emerge, and there was the possibility to give that uh, a workers' expression. You have states like Minnesota that did have uh, a, a farmer labor party that actually went had a pretty advanced program and actually pretty advanced uh, conditions for the working class in Minnesota in the 1930s compared to what we have to deal with uh, in the rest of the country today. So I don't think that that's an insuperable uh, obstacle. As far as the structures of, of the capitalist uh, uh, setup being completely rigged and being undemocratic and, and you know, really uh, you know, set up for a two-party system, even though there's nothing about that in the Constitution, again, I think that if there's enough of an elemental upsurge and a will and a, and a way forward pointed by the labor leadership, by the left leadership, then people will start to, to see that direction. But when you have the labor leadership saying, oh no, don't move in that direction, or you have, and you have the leaders of the socialist movement saying, oh no, don't go in that direction, let's run maybe as a Republican, let's run maybe as, as a Democrat, you're, you're, you're not offering a vision and perspective. And I think if people want to know where to go, you have to, you know, they have to be able to see where that might be. And uh, so, so that's uh, what I was saying. All right, that's it for tonight's segment. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope it also helped shed some light on the period and the process that we're living in today. The debate on class independence is far from over. In fact, for millions of people, it's a debate that is just beginning. The working class desperately needs a party of its own that can act as a vehicle for its interests, the interests of the vast majority of society. And this is the time for socialists to be fighting for class independence. We would argue that if such a party is going to succeed in gaining a mass base, it has to be rooted in the labor movement. It has to present itself as a distinctly working class party. And it has to be a fighting organization in the class struggle. A mass party of the working class could help the labor movement to roar back to life in the coming years if it actively links up with the rising strike movement and puts forward a systematic appeal for organized labor to break with the Democrats and instead channel its resources into fighting for working class interests. And there's a name for that kind of program, a program that fights against the billionaires, against the capitalist system, fights to bring the working class to power and dramatically improve the living standards for billions of people around the world. It's called a revolutionary socialist program, and it's not a scary word. Millions are in favor of socialism and millions are in favor of revolution, particularly in the generation that makes up the largest segment of the working class today. The recent period of relative stability is gone forever. The socialist movement is only going to grow and what we're doing at Socialist Revolution and in the international Marxist tendency around the world is preparing the cadre, a professional and well-organized network of trained revolutionary activists with roots in the working class and the presence across the country in every major city, every industry, a network that can systematically bring a socialist program into the workers' movement. When the working class establishes a mass party of its own, and we are closer to seeing this kind of development than ever before, we will be a part of that fight, putting forward a program that can bring the working class to power, establish a workers' government, and transform society. Until the working class has its own party, things are not going to improve for the vast majority. The task has never been more urgent. And if you agree with us, we invite you to join us in this fight. 